the way I felt about our music was just, it wasn't about the numbers or anything. It was how do the shows feel, you know, mm. is like the energy at like shows kind of good. And that like, are people like, you know, kicking off for these songs, you know, are, like are people like singing along to them. Like, and it's like, like it's, it matters less kind of like what the Spotify numbers of this song are and more, you know, how much people are engaging with it at a show. And kind mm. of, I feel like, we're losing sight of that a little bit, but like, I mean, it's kind of understandable after what we've been through in like the last 18 months that I think people are getting a bit in there. You know, all we have at the moment is this kind of digital space. So that's all anyone tries to focus on. It's just like, how well am I doing on this digital platform or how well I'm doing on that digital platform type thing. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, over a million million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out DistroKid.com. What's going on? Welcome to the new music business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book. Today, my guest is David Potter of the band Stand Atlantic, the pop punk emo band Stand Atlantic out of Sydney, Australia. I think this is the first first guest that we've had in this scene, in this pop punk, this emo scene. And uh, it was a really interesting conversation that we had together. You know, this is a band that has done, typically did 200 shows a year. And we talk about what that has felt like this last year and a half where he hasn't been able to play any shows. Uh, We dig into how they got started, how they found their manager, how they got their booking agents. We talk about tour buy-ons and what he thinks about that whole pay-to-play system. We talk about uh, some of their live streams and what it was like switching from the bassist in the band to the guitarist in the band. Now, David is a Fender-endorsed artist. We're having a few of these Fender-endorsed artists full disclosure uh ari's take and fender have worked out a partnership and if you're on fender's list you'll be getting notified about the complete artist playbook of 2021 that i wrote for them and uh, they'll be they'll be sending it out to to their subscribers soon you can find stand atlantic wherever you find your content ah, i hate the word content wherever you find follow your musicians whether it's on instagram or youtube or facebook or tiktok david downplayed their tiktok but their tiktok's pretty funny you can find them of course however you listen to music spotify apple music youtube that whole deal you can find me at ari herstand on instagram and twitter and anywhere else at ari's take You'll find everyone who makes the show happen on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and visit Ari'sTake.com to get on that email list. That is where you're going to get the most up-to-date, current information about all things new music business. Please subscribe and like this show. Follow it. However you're listening to this right now, smash that subscribe button. Up-thumb this up-thumb button if you're listening on YouTube. Leave a comment or a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Just, just... Tell me what you think of the show. If if you dig it, please. Uh, if you don't dig it, you can you can keep that to yourself. Uh, but I, I read the comments and and I, I so appreciate that. And if you write a comment on YouTube, I will try to get back to you. All right, let's kick into the show. 
All right, David Potter, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Hello, where, where are you? Where are you coming to me from right now? Uh, Sydney at the moment. So. Okay, and that's where the whole band is is based, right? Yes, at the moment. Um, okay, so so tell me about. Uh, I mean, how has Australia been throughout this whole pandemic? I feel like you guys uh, were doing a lot better than the rest of the world, right? Uh, originally, our, our okay. vaccine rollout's been a bit of a kind of. Uh, shit show to put it lightly but okay um we're probably about to head into like as i'm saying this sydney's probably about to head into another lockdown which was no yeah oh i'm so sorry to hear that yeah it's so rough because we went like four months we had for about four months we've had zero cases and then about a week out from our australian tour and there's been popped up like 30 overnight it's been could not have been timed any worse oh no this is like early 2020 march 2020 all over again huh (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. it's like it's just starting again because like for the longest time like literally since like august last year we've been having like you know there'd be like maybe a case or two that would pop up every now and again but like Mm -hmm. other than that it's been pretty decent so like you know there's been shows back i've been able to go to shows have wanted to play one and we were uh-huh. very close but yeah so um, so oh man so you're hitting another lockdown man i'm just you know in the states we've been pretty good with our vaccine rollout i mean we're at a point now where we have more supply than demand uh so the yeah. people that just aren't getting vaccinated are just choosing not to it's not like they can't uh, pretty yeah. much everyone who want has wanted to has gotten it already for the most part. Yeah, um, I, I, I yeah. even saw like in Ohio they were do like running a lottery that like if you got vaccinated you could like win like <laughs> to well, try that's... and convince people to get it done. Yeah, because uh, yeah, they're uh, they're trying all these tactics to try to to convince people to get vaccinated. There's there's some skepticism and. Uh, so yeah, in California, and <laughs> we have we have a lottery where the, like people can win millions or fifty thousand dollars or something crazy. To, you know, like we're all in it, so I'm in it. I'll let you know if I win. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just happy that you know California's opened up a few weeks ago and, and uh, shows are starting to come back and and all yeah. of that. Um, and fortunately, I mean, being vaccinated. Now, virtually everybody I know who's vaccinated and that all the music venues like are requiring people. It's back. It's just like, yeah, it feels like we're getting back to normal and it yeah, feels yeah, like yeah. we're safe again, because up until this point, you know, we was on edge. The no whole one wanted to do it because it's like, right. you, know, you don't want to yeah. you don't want to throw a show and then turns out like, you know, someone died because they came to your show or some shit. Like, right. Of course. Bands yeah. just don't want to kind of do that thing. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it was it was why it was so good for like the brief period, the brief couple of months we were getting shows in Australia. Mm-hmm. It was really good. And kind of after so long of it being away, you kind of think like. Because, like, pre-pandemic, like, it was just, you know, the way of life. It was, like, you know, mm-hmm. for touring bands. Like, we were touring heaps pre-pandemic. We were doing, like, 200 yeah. shows or something a year. And then after you go, like, kind of 12 months without it and you go yeah. back to that first show, you're, like, it just kind of hits you how much you've missed, like, kind of, like, the whole, like, you know, yeah. just having your way of life kind of taken from mm-hmm. you, like, kind of just overnight, essentially. <laughs> Have you done? Have you played a show since? 
Uh, we played one show that was kind of like this. Uh, so back when, like, kind of Australia, like Sydney first, kind of got all its stuff kind of on under control. They were still mm-hmm. kind of like testing the waters and that, and to kind of help some musicians and like venues get back into work. The um the government of New South Wales, which is the state that we that Sydney's in, we live in, was mm-hmm. actually like sponsoring gigs like paying bands just to put on gigs like and so we got like pretty well paid for that but um it was like a sit down show so it's like mm. you know when we're kind of like a like pop punk kind of pop rock right. band that's like pretty all about high energy it was a, a bit of a weird vibe like it was still yeah. great like just to kind of you know like i said after being away from it for so long to actually yeah. get back to play a show but it kind of wasn't the it wasn't the same energy that I've seen like kind of for the the shows that are proper you know proper stand up proper mosh pits and that because mm-hmm. like all the ones that I've been to that have been like proper mosh pits like the energy is absolutely insane people are losing their shit because just because <laughs> like how long it's been since like people you know oh my God. acoustic yeah. shows with like walls of death That's coming what at I'm each saying. other I mean like there's gonna be full concerts with with mosh pits these yeah. days <laughs> um, crazy man it's just yeah. I uh, the first show that I went to uh, in a club with other humans around me, it was just a local cat who was doing a residency. He's been he's like a guy that just does residency and and there was uh you know it I mean it was before everything had opened up so it was an illegal show and there was probably a hundred and fifty people stuffed into a venue that should only hold hundred um, yeah. and twenty and you know I, this was after I was vaccinated and everything but like having that first show that experience i was chills the whole time i'm on the cusp of tears like four times it was just yeah yeah it was so it was euphoric i mean this was something i used to go see shows four nights a week and uh or playing them or whatever and and just without having that experience you forget and then when you're thrown back in it's like oh my gosh this is this is it this is yeah this is why we're in this and this is why we do this. And um, so, yeah, it's uh, hopefully it's going to be going to be coming back for real. Are you planning to are you guys planning to tour internationally later this year? Or are you waiting? Um, probably not later this year. I think okay. for what's soonest on the cards for us would probably be like next year. Um, okay. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about what I don't think our sure. booking agent would be like me giving away like the full details and that. But um, part of it is that like once you leave Australia, it's very mm. difficult to get back in just because of, you know, how right. kind of like strict we've been about like just not letting anything in so right you know right. if we wanted to go over and play shows we probably could but like yeah. you know as soon as we you know if we do like a two-month tour we don't want to get you know stuck away yeah. from home for like kind of like six to seven months just because we can't get back into all this type thing right no that makes sense um crazy well so man you said you used to do 200 shows a year i'm curious take me back through stand atlantic because and i'm also i also want to know um the tell me about the pop punk scene in australia the music scene in australia i mean i haven't you know i personally uh i mean i've been a singer songwriter my whole career now i'm doing funk music and you know back in like middle high school i was going to see pop punk shows and and like ska band and punk and that kind of stuff but we're talking late 90s early 2000s and uh i i know that you know now being on on hopeless records with i'm sure a lot of your idols who are on that and and a lot of the guys who came before you uh 
Uh, I, I'm curious. Um, it, it, it's it's very cool to see that that there is th- this scene has has maintained, and it seems like it is it is such a um, a deeply rooted kind of cultural uh, niche, and that people mm. are are really strong um, with that. But I'm I'm curious from your vantage point and your perspective, being in Sydney, being in Australia, how you have been received initially and then through the years well so the odd thing about it in australia is that pop punk we find being an australian band it's way bigger in the uk and the us than it ever kind of was in australia australia has this very kind of um they don't really australia's whole thing is it doesn't really like overly kind of polished overproduced bands and that's what we are we are very kind of like highly kind of over like to use the word overproduced just kind of like (laughs) overproduced kind of band is exactly what our kind and like the australian kind of sound if you listen to what's big on like our alternative radio stations is like very kind of just you know earnest stripped back stuff so like Mm. we still do get a lot of support in australia but it's weird that it's kind of like you know being an australian band the sound we play is way bigger in like the uk and the us um Mm. but uh the the interesting thing is like how much kind of like for so many years pop punk kind of was like this thing that kind of you know you had your big bands in the early days like your blink 182s and your green days and your newfound glory and then it kind of went away for a while it was like this kind of you know it was like a separate subculture thing that kind of you know still continued to exist and you had like you know neck deep and story so far and like all those kind of bands and everyone was still kind of you know we were in our own little kind of scene but then you know in the last year or so you've seen like machine gun kelly and like you know even the the number right. one song on the billboard charts right now is that like good for you song by olivia rodrigo like in right. pop punks having another moment like the yeah. kind of 2021 like so like it's kind of i think it'll be a good thing for all these kind of bands that we're in this kind of like niche subculture that like <laughs> it's starting to make its way back into the mainstream again i think that's kind right. of right like, like say what you want about machine gun kelly whether you like him or not and i know a lot of like within the pot like that kind of like niche pop punk scene he's like super divisive about when anyone ever likes him but i think it's good that we're receiving some kind of you know mainstream culture attention to it again you know Mm -hmm. it's so funny how cyclical music is and and you painted that well with right but it's like it is kind of like in every 10 12 years or something it's like and so you kind of picked it up at a, a good way but you know, you you guys have been going strong for just about ten years now. I know you changed your name a few years into it, but yeah. but for the most part, the core group. Um, you know, what was it like those first few years when you're doing a pop punk thing where maybe you weren't being as well received in your home country or your hometown, and it wasn't really as much of a uh, mainstream. Uh, community necessarily that was that was uh, accepting the sound internationally either. How how did you navigate that? Well, I mean, like, I mean, no one really ever gets into music. Like, I mean, if you're into music only to be popular, like, I don't think I don't like. There's no one I really know in the music industry that's like, or at least the people that I know that are really like that. You know, it might be mm-hmm. different for like pop musicians and stuff, but like, everyone that I knew who was doing pop punk was doing it because it was something that they genuinely loved and genuinely enjoyed and not because it was some kind of like, it wasn't like, oh, this is how we get into the charts. Because, Mm. you know, like I said, pre kind of 2020, 2021, like, you know, 
no one like people kind of looked at pop punk as like oh this relic from the early t- you know early right. 2000s type right. type thing like um you know like this like like the same way kind of grunge was looked at in like the right. 90s and that kind of like sure. it's just like oh you're just playing this dated kind of music kind of mm. but like if you loved it then you still just did it regardless cuz you know mm-hmm. and they were so tell they, me about like, that yeah Tell me about uh, the first time that you played outside of Australia. Uh, so the first time we actually went outside of Australia, we were on a tour in the UK and Europe with um, uh, the band a band called Rome, who were like really good friends of ours. And they're sure. from like Brighton in the UK and yeah. that. Um, and it was um, our very first show outside of the UK was actually in, Col- I mean, outside of Australia, sorry, was in Cologne in Germany. And like, mm. for whatever reason, whenever we go back to Cologne, it's like they lose their mind in that city. It's one of the loosest yes. cities I've ever been to. Like the shows there are always like, you know, and it was like incredibly different from what we've seen in Australia. Because like I said, the Australian scene really isn't too much into that kind of like overly polished, overly kind of like hoppy, like happy kind of pop punk kind of sound. Mm-hmm. But like in Europe and UK and stuff, like they gen- they seem to enjoy it a lot more. And it was like really cool seeing like the kind of like, you know, our first ever show overseas, we were getting like, you know, crowd surfers, circle pits and that one. We'd never really gotten that kind of reception <laughs> before in Australia. Like, yes. Yeah, so it was fun. Nice. It was fun, like fun to do that, and like, like I said, like we still like. I, I don't mean to kind of sound like I'm kind of talking down Australia too much because we there is like a like we do have like a very good like we do get a lot of support and a lot of following from Australia, but it's like it's a kind nice. of different scene. It's like this kind of like we just kind of have these festivals that come around in summertime, and that's kind mm-hmm. of more what you do. Mm-hmm. Like, because uh, the hard thing about Australia is that you, if you're to do a tour in Australia, you've only really got four major cities like four or five major cities you can hit up whereas you know if you're doing a tour in the uk and europe or the us you know you can go 30 40 days just playing shows whereas you Mm -hmm. know if you're doing them back to back in australia you've got one week and then you kind of then you have to start playing towns out in the middle of nowhere type thing yeah yeah. continue playing like type stuff where did you uh find initially and now more recently that most of your fans came from? Meaning, how did they discover you? um, Well, so, like, the big thing for us, like, when we were first coming up, was just doing every support tour we can imagine. That was what we was like. So you built a live. Yeah, back back when we um, kind of, obviously, back when we were still touring, and like I said, when we were touring Mm -hmm. really heavily, doing something like, you know, 200 shows and band of like kind of 12 months we were just doing those kind of like trying to get on every support tour just going back to back of kind of like you know doing uk europe oz uk europe oz us type thing you know we Mm -hmm. did the tours with like state champ and neck deep like the big bands from like you know before pop punk really came back you know they were like the big names and it was like really cool to kind of get to do those tours with those bigger bands and kind of Mm -hmm. like because at the time we were still a super green kind of didn't know what we were doing pretty shit live to be honestly kind of type (laughs) band and getting to kind of tour with some of these like more kind of like established and like you know acts that have been doing it for a while and like really got their shit together in terms of a live act kind of helped like getting to watch that and getting to like kind of learn from that was like a really good kind of experience so how did you get on these tours early on did you have management did you have booking Uh, yeah i think just a, a, a good booking agents um as kind of like is 
maybe a bad answer that is we just kind of have always had we've got uh, Anna Buers in the UK and Dave Shapiro mm-hmm. in the US who've just kind of somehow always been able to hook up like this relatively at the time relatively unknown nobody band somehow getting mm-hmm. us on these big tours so it was kind of And how did you start working with both of those agents? Uh, I don't know. I think we've just got a like a really good manager, to be honest. He somehow managed to hook it up. Like I don't know how he did it, but if I, you know, who's your manager? Uh, Matt Clark, who's um, a, a young kid from Manchester in the UK. So he's younger than everyone in the band, which is kind of, <laughs> we all find kind of funny. Like when we when we did our fir- when he booked us for his like our first tour in the uk in europe and we first went over to meet him he hadn't even turned 21 yet he was still you know, 20 years old <laughs> that's yeah. awesome how did you guys partner with him um it was kind of weird he just kind of like uh so he'd one, one of our friends bands from sydney uh, another pop punk band called with con uh, with mm-hmm. confidence had toured with his band and he was kind of like he sent us a message just being like, oh, hey, some of the WivCon sh- guys showed me your music. Um, you know, I sing in a band. I haven't managed anyone yet, but I'm looking to get into management. And I thought you guys would be like a good kind of first band for me to like start managing and kind of like try and like dip my toes into that. And, you know, we didn't have any kind of management. We were doing, like I said, we were doing nothing. We were a nobody band at the time. And we mm-hmm. were like, yeah, sh- sure. Let's take a risk on this, you know, kid that's really that we don't know anything about. He's from an entirely different <laughs> continent and kind of, but seems really eager to learn and seems like he really knows his stuff. And then just, yeah, yeah he's absolutely smashed it since then. Like I said, he's, you know, was getting us these booking agents and getting us on tours that probably, to be honest, we had no right to be on, but yeah, know, it's, it's been a good learning experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so, um, I'm curious about, uh, you know, you you guys kind of came out of this interesting time period in the music industry. So uh, we're talking early, early on, you know, 2012, 2013, 2014, um, you're figuring things out. But, you know, once you kind of change your name and you officially stand Atlantic, um, then we're at this interesting time in the industry where, you know, uh, YouTube is all the rage and Spotify is kind of just starting to, to come up and there's Facebook and, and Instagram is kind of more niche. And it's like, I'm curious if you found any of these uh, platforms that you were able to use them to help build your audience or was it really just playing those dates and building it fan by fan in the club um yeah inter i i feel like what i would credit most of it to is just doing the whole kind of live touring and really just getting in front of those people that kind of you know from those bigger bands but we definitely have used like you know um out to kind of sing the praises of our manager again he's very good at just knowing how to kind of work the spotify algorithm and that and it's like Mm. it's kind of it's a little bit sad that that's kind of what the music industry (laughs) is right now it's just game gaming algorithms to kind of like kind of but like you just kind of you've either got to get with it or kind of got left behind and we we have been like you know quite good i feel like for kind of just knowing how to kind of build a platform on spotify and that kind of you know, we do all right on there. Like our streaming numbers are, like, I think pretty good for a band yeah. kind of our size and that. Like, sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
and and so I'm I'm curious. Were there any? I, I want to get even more specific um, with that. Uh, what has been for over the last few years? Now that it is about the you know the algorithms and all that stuff. Um, who I'm assuming Matt takes the lead, your manager on on that. But how do you work in collaboration uh, with your record label, with Hopeless, with Matt? Uh, and then the band and you guys, um, who kind of does what, and how do you split up the the business responsibilities or the promotional responsibilities? Yeah, and, well, and, um, yeah. yeah, kind of uh, like um, Josh Apple over at Hopeless is like mm-hmm. who does like it, that's one of the really good things about Hopeless and why I think why you see like quite a few Hopeless bands at the moment who are really kind of killing it is that they ha- this dude over at Hopeless Josh Apple is just who just does like just uh, DSP. So just all digital streaming stuff. And I think that's an advantage they have over a lot of other kind of small indie labels is that they've Mm -hmm. got this guy, Josh Apple over there who just really knows how to kind of work bands for the kind of, you know, this like work bands towards Spotify. And I know at the moment he's trying to get us to do TikTok, but I just kind of feel like such a boomer doing that kind of thing. (laughs) I'm like, I'm just... I feel like I've missed the, the train on that one. I'm sorry, Josh. I wish I could do like TikTok and that because it's like so many I mean, bands and so many artists are just building their kind of name on that right now. It's like right. you look at what all the number one songs are like, you know, top 10 on mm-hmm. Billboard. They're right. all also top 10 on TikTok. It's where like right. so many of these big songs come from. And then it's kind of like, so to that extent, I kind of wish I was a little bit better at that. But I mean, of- you guys are doing all right. I mean, Bonnie's doing a great job with with your TikTok, and and I, I love uh, your TikToks. The 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 ones that catch on the most are the ones where you're responding to a commenter that says, "Why are you verified?" And then you post a hilarious video of like chucking a Cheeto across the room that you catch in a mouth, and it's like, see, or like everyone trying to do a skateboarding trick or something yeah. like that, and it's like it's it's a cheeky, hilarious, uh, you know, response. <laughs> I feel like that that's our only kind of like response to the whole TikTok thing is to kind of just take the piss out of it because I think we're all a little bit too old and too jaded to kind of yeah. be sincere about the whole TikTok thing. Right, right. No, so, I feel that completely. So I'm curious, how do you how do you reckon with that? We are in an era where everyone's talking about numbers. And you even said it yourself, our Spotify numbers, because we know that this is the era we're in where it's like, that's the conversation is like, let me see your numbers. They're all right there. TikTok shows you how many views, how many likes, how many followers. Spotify right there. Homepage of your profile, monthly listeners, top songs, numbers, numbers, place. How do you reckon with these numbers, which I'm sure everyone feels that their numbers are never high enough, they're never big enough, they're never anything. Like, when does that come into the conversation, and, and how do you deal with that? Um, yeah, uh, like, I don't know. I cut like it's you can't always. It's the one of the things that we talk about. Like, you know, whenever we're having kind of conversations about like the music industry and like and that one as a band is that like you can't really base like how well a band is doing just off these numbers type things. Cause they're like, there is so many like other ways you can measure kind of like the success and like kind of the size of a band, you know, 
if you look at like someone like a band like you know from the UK like Don Broco who just you know aren't a particularly big streaming band and that I think they've got they've probably got like half the monthly listeners of like us on Spotify but they're, mm-hmm. they're playing you know they're selling out Alexandria Palace in the UK you know 10,000 cap venues and that and it's like you know we'd be lucky to probably hit a thousand like you know one tenth of that at the moment so it's kind of mm-hmm. like it does like I feel like people get a bit caught up and get a bit all in their head about just like it's all about the numbers that's all like you know it's all just about just you know making sure that you know we've got to have over a million monthly on Spotify or you know we've <laughs> got to be kind of doing this and it's like it, I feel like it kind of distracts from what the point of being a musician is um and and for at least for me, like pre-pandemic, it was just kind of it. You know, the way I felt about our music was just it wasn't about the numbers or anything. It was how do the shows feel? You know, mm. is like the energy at like shows kind of good and that like are people like you know kicking off for these songs? You know, are like are people like singing along to them? Like, and it's like like it's it matters less kind of like what the Spotify numbers of this song are and more you know how much people are engaging with it at a show and kind mm. of I feel like we're losing sight of that a little bit but like I mean it's kind of understandable after what we've been through in like the last 18 months that I think people are getting a bit in there you know all we have at the moment is this kind of digital space so that's all anyone tries to focus on is just like how well am I doing on this digital platform or how well I'm doing on that digital platform type thing <laughs> Real quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I I got a full deep dive demo with the founder. And yeah, they're very innovative. And when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative. And they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, plus 450 other outlets around the world. They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less than legit pub admin services. Well, Two Loss is partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, This is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for a hundred grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and get that distributed and um, into your account immediately they do lyrics and credits distribution for free they have a very innovative analytics platform where yes you will see real-time analytics for spotify apple music but also pandora deezer soundcloud and peloton they're the only ones that do peloton Uh, they also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used And it will just show you a chart of everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register with SoundExchange. And they have a fraud prevention tool. And they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music 
you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue. Uh, they have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out Two Lost. You can just go to twolost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. Mm, so well put. So well put, and I, I so appreciate that you brought that perspective in. And I know a lot of people listening right now who are musicians, who are told that they should be obsessing with their numbers, that to give a good reminder that this is not why we're in music. It is yeah, not yeah. about the algorithm. <laughs> it is not for the numbers or any of that. It's it's the connection with your mm. fan, with the audience, and, and to have that response and and uh, I so appreciate that reminder. I think we all need that reminder once in a while. And, and like you, like you said, it this last year and a half has been incredibly challenging uh, to remember that because not only were we not able to play shows or even be in that, we weren't even really able to be around other humans, and yeah. so it, we were existing completely virtually, digitally. And if we're not able to crack that, it's like it it really does a toll on your self-worth. Yeah. And I have some close artist friends who are live artists. They crush it live. Everyone who sees them live loses their mind and are lifelong fans. Mm. But they can't crack the internet. And like they're just – the algorithm doesn't like them for whatever reason – they're not able to translate what they can do live through a you know a ten inch screen, and so it's like, and I, it, it is frustrating when so many people in the industry are so obsessed with the numbers and the algorithm cracking this and that, and and you know we're in this era where people have fifty million streams on Spotify but can't sell fifty tickets to their hometown show, and that's the yeah. crazy unfortunate reality of the world we live in. And you're so right; it it goes the opposite way, where there are people that don't have much numbers to speak of who are selling out venues all over the world. And so it's like that perspective is so important to to remember. Well put. Yeah. Um, I, I want to get into the music a little bit. Um, you know, so you started with the band as the bassist and now you're the guitarist. Tell me about that transition. Um, well, it was just kind of when we first started out as as a band, um, kind of, uh, you know, just playing bass and what I'd, I'd kind of always played a little bit of both, a little bit of guitar, a little bit of bass, but kind of more geared towards bass. And we kind of we were kind of had a different lineup and we did have a guitarist that guitarist mm-hmm. left to kind of, you know, focus on a career or whatever and whatnot. And we kind of were like, mm-hmm. okay, well we need someone to kind of either step up and play guitar or we need to find a bass player. Uh, and as it turns out, it's usually a bit easier to find bass players than it is to find guitarists. Uh, plus like, so the bass player we got in Mickey had been like just a long time kind of, like everyone in the Sydney music scene kind of knows Mickey. He's been like around for like, like he was one of those guys that was like, eventually one of the bands you're playing in will make it. And then kind of, so (laughs) we were like, yeah, we need a bass player. 
everyone knows you. We know you're great. You can sing harmony, which is, you know, pretty much all you ever want from like, as long as you can <laughs> play basic root notes and sing harmony, then, you know, you've got it. You're a bass player. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were like, it'll be much easier for me to kind of just switch to guitar and start mm. doing that. And then him kind of, and then we just get in Mickey on bass because I can't sing harmonies to save my life. So it was like, <laughs> okay. we need someone to kind of fill that space live. So yeah, it was, yeah. you know, a good fit for him to come in and then me just to move guitar and kind of a little bit of a learning curve at first for me kind of playing guitar and that. Cause sure. like, you know, it was a big thing of like, not even so much my playing, but a lot of the kind of, uh, properly dialing in tones and stuff i just really kind of didn't have an ear for as like mm. someone coming from a bass playing background it's just kind of right like scooping mids and just kind of like yeah there it is <laughs> just sound, <laughs> sounds absolutely like a tin can and just like shit but yeah you know what we, is your I, current setup what's your pedal board like what what um, what's your gear we don't we don't run pedals at all we're um all no on camp we're all on campus now so like um it's just like can compared to just like we did used to run like pedals and amps and that but like in terms of like like i said back back pre-pandemic we were just touring so much that it was kind of like you know coming from australia you can't really fly huge you know marshall tube mm. kind of heads or you know i used to right. play through an angle head it's like so now we've like literally right here right next to me we've got a just a one you know six unit rack it's got two campers in it you know, that does all our effects. It does all our kind of, you know, uh, we, we've modeled uh, a specific, like, a, I think it's a JVM Mark II that we, that's, mm. it's been every record we've ever done uses this one JVM Mark II. And like, you know, the good, great thing about the like Kemper profiler is that, you, you know, you can just model whatever you want. So we just use that for live now. Um, and to clarify, Kemper is like a, it's a, a digital interface. Yeah, digital. Is it yeah. just like on an iPad or you have a laptop on stage? No, no, or it's, what is- it's like a, like a, a rack unit thing. So like similar to it's like, an actual this, rack. you know, like, okay. yeah, like Axe FXs or like kind of like, you know, like the Line 6 Helixes and that. It's like good. So we don't oh, really, sure. we don't even need to run any pedals or anything. Cause we're like a, like I said, when I was saying we're like a very kind of overproduced, overpolished band, we, you know, run click tracks and all that live. And all we do mm-hmm. is, you know one run run a midi cable to the campers and you can kind of automate all the patch changes so the oh, only thing that either of so it's like because like the way i play is that it's like i like to throw myself around and throw the guitar yeah. around on stage and that it's like i don't really want to be sitting there tap dancing the entire time so it makes me yeah way more sense to me and it's like bonnie's very much the same way like you know mm-hmm. when she's singing that she likes to just let her guitar swing around and kind of yeah. grab the mic and run around stage and that so you know we can program in when we want it to mute her guitar and kind of so the oh, only thing crazy we, yeah cool. so like all our patch changes are programmed they all just happen when it gets to a specific point of the click track it just does it automatically it mutes it automatically kind of you know, like we don't have to switch guitars for like songs in different tunings. It can transpose it, all that. It's just like so convenient when it's like what you can fit into this one and it's under 23 kilos, so you can fly with it. So it's just like one 23 rack unit. It does all our pedals, all our amps, like everything we all do. All we have on stage is just a, a one of these Shaw like wireless tuner things. So it's like our wow. wireless and our tuner. So all we need to do on stage is tune and then everything else just handles itself. It's like... Whoa, wait, you said even in your songs that are an alternate tuning, this system will transpose yeah. your guitar. So you're so you would play your guitar like you have you have tuned it in this alternate yeah. tuning, but yeah. 
it would read it through the system and put it out in the the yeah. So all like it, yeah. it 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 can't really like you know change it from like an open C to a standard or anything, but more just like you know some songs we have. Because we like to, just for like kind of vocal range stuff, we do the classic mm-hmm. thing of just playing most of our songs the semitone down live just to okay. kind of make it a bit easy on the, you know, like I said, when sure. we would do it like 200 shows a year, you know, we don't want to belting it every night to kind of like, yeah. so just like songs where we need it to go a semitone down, we just, it just kind of goes through like the, you know, we play it as if like kind of, it, we play in drop C live and then it comes out as drop B through the Kemper. And so, wow. like, kind of, okay. Okay. Gotcha. So crazy for like a band like us, you know, we're trying to fly everything kind of work. So we can't bring huge, you know, six, like six yeah. guitar vaults and that, you know, we bring one each and then a spare one in case either of us breaks a string. And then, then mm-hmm. like, so that's all we, all we need to fly with. And then just kind of like, any so no amps in like, no, no amps. Like um, the the like the we've got powered campers as well. So if we are at a venue that has cabs, we can run them through cra- like cabs and that. But like okay. for the most part, like especially on the support tours we've done, the rooms have mm-hmm. been pretty big, and it's been a lot easier just to plug straight into the PA and that. So it's yeah, like, yeah. It's literally one twenty three rack, twenty three kilo rack unit. We can fly mm-hmm. everywhere. Does and then it completely does all guitars, all pedals, anything else you need it to do. And it's just kind of like. Wow. So convenient. You literally just can't beat how convenient. It is. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. Um, do you tour with a, your own front of house engineer? Uh, yeah. So like we started to the last tour we did uh, just before everything uh, kind of um, like locked down, and we all got we did with our our front of house engineer, uh, and we were looking to start um, like touring like a, our front of house joel who's like just like an australian dude he's really good you know mm-hmm. almost every like he's the he's like the most in demand person in the australian alternative scene at the moment you know every other pop punk or like hardcore band is using joel because he's really good and that mm-hmm. but um you know cool he's done a great job for us and hopefully we'll be able to bring him back on tour again when we start like we will probably get we've taken him on this australian run we've got coming up because he's from mm-hmm. australia but mm-hmm. You know, when cool. we get over to the US and the UK again, hopefully you'll get to hear how he does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, nice. So um, you have a, uh, a, a partnership, a sponsorship with Fender. Um, tell me about that because I know a lot of musicians, a lot of listeners, it's like their dream to have this gear sponsorship. And tell me what that entails, what that means, and how that happened. Well, we were... For like literally, so it's one of those things like our manager comes to us, like asks us quite a lot. Me like, oh, what kind of endorsements do you want? Who should we go mm-hmm. for endorsements? And like for years, we would just kind of like, we all play Fenders. Matt, please get us a Fender endorsement. <laughs> please get us a Fender endorsement. Yeah. And I think for like, he, he had been working on it for a long time. So for literally like like years, he was trying to email Fender being like, oh, hey, you know, when we were still <laughs> a nobody band, just been like, you know, you could we have some guitars or stuff or can you help us yeah. out on tour and that? And so it is good now that we finally do have it. It is kind of like the, all my dreams have kind of come true type thing. Cause like, <laughs> you know, we've like, it's mm-hmm. just kind of stu- the, like just super good for like kind of what we do, the pop punk sound, like just mm-hmm. like kind of, you know, those kind of like Bonnie plays a Telecaster, like one of those mm-hmm. um like blacktop Telecasters with like, you know, just two P90s in it. I play a Jazzmaster mm-hmm. that I've modded mm-hmm. and put like a P90 in it. Just the 
sound great. It's kind of yeah. Awesome. The, that's that's great. Um, very cool. So um, I'm curious. Uh, the the pop punk hardcore scene, metal, like th- this more harder scene um, in America. Uh, and I don't know if you've experienced this at all. Uh, unfortunately, emerging artists fall prey to a lot of scams and pay to play opportunity, <laughs> like pay to play bullshit. Uh, I don't even want to call them opportunities, uh, like pay to play uh, situations that they fall into. Um, and, and I've talked to so many and, and highlighted a few of these, these festivals that, you know, were like all time lows, the headliner. And so like every band signs up is like, oh, I want to be on that. But it's like, oh yeah, you can be on this if you pay me $3,000 and here's like some tickets you can sell and maybe you can make your money back, but probably not. And like the more tickets you sell, you get the closer you'll get to the headliner, which really means you'll be on a stage like, you know, 3000 feet away and you'll be playing like a half hour after all time low finishes 10 minutes before the gates shut, you know? So it's like, have you run into anything like that throughout your career? Um, I think early on every band, because, you know, like when you first start out as a band, no one knows mm-hmm. what the fuck they're doing. Then, you know, right. that's why you start out <laughs> like, you know, everyone's right. usually just some early 20s. Someone that's like, yeah, I love playing power chords and that. Right. You, know, you just kind of want to get out there and play shows. So, I mean, I think early on there was like a, a bit of that, you know, even just within mm-hmm. the local scene, like, but I now we're kind of we have like i said our manager super young super switched on he knows how to steer us away from kind of all that kind of anything like that but i feel like a lot of bands before they get you know like proper management or someone who actually knows what we're doing i mean we've definitely kind of had that kind of thing happen to us like back before we knew what we were doing and that and it is kind of there is just a lot of exploitation that happens within Mm -hmm. like the music industry. And it's like, it's not even, it's not even just, you know, these like small promoters on a local level, like big labels and that will still like exploit artists and that and Mm -hmm. kind of just, just to see what they can get away with type stuff. Totally. Have you ever done a a tour buy-on? No, we've never done that we've done like tours where it's been like yeah you get fifty dollars a show it's like cool that does not even where it's kind of the like where you're not you're not making any money you're actively losing money like one of Mm -hmm. our first like oz tours and that um like uh first big oz tours you know we we did literally get paid like you know a hundred dollars a show and we had to bring our own sound guy who was charging two hundred dollars a show <laughs> so it's like but it, to some extent you do kind of have to grind a, like as much as you know you, you should be wary for like some of those scams and that you also do have to like kind of know that like before bef- if you don't really have much like marketable worth as a band sometimes you do just have to do shows for like really cheap like obviously mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. look out for like people that are being exploitative and that but like you right know. i'm assuming you would make some of that up in merch and yeah and yeah 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 contacts and fans that you, theoretically you'd have your email list out there or something or you'd, yeah. you'd kind of get these fans right yeah 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 100 percent. like and it is like one of those things where it's like you know if like I said, a big way of how we first kind of were coming up in, you know, 
2016, 2017, 2018 was just by playing so many shows and playing in front of so many people. So, you know, mm-hmm. you've you kind of just got to balance it and just make sure that, like, you know, you can grind as much as you can kind of mm-hmm. to where you can get to the stage where, you know, now we can, you know, kind of now we can demand, you know, five, six K a show for a guarantee or something. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's actually true. I don't know what our guarantee is, but I assume I'd, I'd like to hope it's more than like a hundred dollars now. Yeah. I mean, that sounds accurate at, at the stage that you're at, but, but for sure, but it's also a really great, um, it, it's really helpful to hear you say all this. And I, for a lot of these young bands that you're right, don't really know how things work, uh, or should work or, and, and like, even though you only would get paid 50 bucks, a hundred bucks a show or something like that, it's still the respect that the promoter or the headliner uh, or the agent, uh, their agent gives to you to say, hey, uh, we respect you enough to compensate you for the value yeah. that you are bringing to this bill. And yeah. if they're only paying you a hundred bucks, it's it's probably because they don't, the tour is not making a boatload of money. And also you probably aren't worth that many tickets at many shows. Yeah. And so, you know, it is an investment and, and that's cool. And I, I think it it's like I do draw the line um, at where and how does the money transact? And even though one could make the argument, well, what's the difference if you're paying them a hundred bucks or they're paying you a hundred bucks? It's like in the end, you're you're losing money either way, and da 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 da. It's just it is where's where's the value respect? And yeah. and yeah. A hundred percent. It's like it's it's one of those things where it's like it it's even just even as a symbolic gesture, I don't think mm-hmm. you should ever have to pay to be on a show. Like, and you should always be at least getting something. Like, I know because a lot of the things, like you know, the like the first kind of tour, like first big tour we did in Oz was supporting Newfound Glory, who are this you know mm. huge legacy band. And we, you yeah. know, as a band that had only ever played to like rooms for for like twenty people and that, you know, we were getting to play like you know these big you know like 1500 2000 cap rooms that we'd never done before and it was like it is very much one of those things as a support band for you know like one of these bigger acts it's like Mm -hmm. you know they're kind of they're helping bring you out and bring you into like these new fans and stuff and Mm -hmm. bringing you this new engagement and that and it's like but when so like you know it's when when they're pay only paying you something like a hundred bucks it's still just that symbolic thing of just being like we you're still being compensated for your work you know mm. what you are doing is still work and even though you know what this is more about doing this big tour is more about you know actually getting in front of new fans and it is about making money because mm-hmm. you, you know mm-hmm. you make the money later on when you're doing your headline to us that's where you right. start actually making money is when you're big enough to start doing your own headlines like we are now kind of like you know yeah. even as even the very last tour we did which was with um in the uk and europe with the main it was like we were still a support act for them and it's like you know we probably we didn't i don't think we would have lost money on that tour but it was like kind of probably ended up somewhere around breaking even maybe making a little bit but still not heaps but it's like the point of that was to be doing you know two thousand cap rooms and stuff in like london and that and so it's like so that when we come over to do our headline tour next that's when we can start actually you know mm-hmm. start making that you know 100%. Re- like selling more tickets in that yep yep over the last year and a half, did you experiment at all with live stream shows? Yeah, we've done we we've done like a, a we we did one kind of like live stream we did ourselves that was just um, that was like on we have like a 
because you know everyone's trying to figure out how to move their business model into this whole like kind of digital space so we have Mm -hmm. like kind of this whole like like kind of um fan club thing like subscription-based fan club thing that we set up so we did a live stream on that that was kind of what's that platform uh it's uh called pillar so it was actually speaking of the main it was i think like their manager literally built it from scratch because the main are like one of those bands that's just so like they have such a big fan community and so much fan involvement and that like Hmm. they're they're one of the best bands I've ever seen at kind of doing that whole kind of like integrating the fans and everything and like every aspect of their business model. You know, they have their own like pop-up merch store in like Arizona that's actually like a, a brick and mortar type store thing. So they, they're like wow. the like just so good at doing it and because they've been a band since like the early 2000s and like have yeah. never really slowed down like a way like a lot of those like big early kind of pop rock bands did. Like mm. they're... Fantastic. But um yeah, back to what I was saying about like the kind of like live streams and that. Like so we, we did we did one there that was just kind of like we we kind of were hoping for a bigger budget to kind of actually put on like a big production at first, but then kind of turns out we didn't have the money for that. So it kind of mm-hmm. became this whole headache where I had to do all the lighting and do all the we had like one of those big LED walls and I had to design all the LED visuals myself and we kind of mm-hmm. like trying to like do like a whole live stream that had like lighting and sound without having to hire anyone else doing it all in house. And it was like, so it was like, it still came out pretty cool, I think, but I'm not a lighting guy. So not particularly great at programming lighting or anything or doing LED visuals, but we still made that pretty cool. And then more recently, actually, when we did have a budget, we did one for like Amazon music Mm because old daddy Bezos was paying for it. So we actually (laughs) kind of, Old Moneybags himself was able right. to actually give us a give us a budget for like a kind of and that was really cool. I was really happy with that how that kind of um came out. You know, we hired. I'm assuming like, that was on Twitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. obviously Amazon, Amazon owns, Twitch, owns right. literally everything. Everything, now. right? Um, everything in the world is owned by Amazon. Yeah, yeah that, so that was yeah. on Twitch. Um, we got to hire in like you know a string section, a whole bunch of like you know backing cool. vocalists, backing guitarists, and keyboardists, and that and like this huge lighting rig and kind of all this stuff and kind of, mm-hmm. so that was really fun to like, kind of actually have the production to do something to like, you know, cause like when you're talking about like doing these kind of like live streams and these kind of like digital only performances, it's like, you can't re- like what we rely on so much of a band for our performances was like the crowd interaction and the energy yeah. and just kind of throwing yourself around on stage and kind of like, you know, crowd surfers and walls of death and all that. And it's like, yeah. kind of like, <laughs> when you don't have any of that anymore and it's just kind of like you can't like you need to kind of replace it with something and it's like we're not the greatest musicians we're pretty average to be honest (laughs) so it's kind of like well let's make this production really cool let's get in Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of session musicians let's get this huge like lighting and like kind of like visual setup and that and that's kind of how you compensate a bit like a bit more for not having that kind of same crowd stage energy mm-hmm. but the the downside of that is that's super expensive to do so mm-hmm, it was good mm-hmm. that we did have the budget to do it once so it wasn't something so you only really did these two live stream shows for the most part yeah it would it would have been nice to do more but they are like this 
it's one of those things like compared to a regular show, like yeah. there's so much work to put in just to, right. you know, like our Amazon one was only 20 minutes. The one we did ourselves was like only like half an hour. And like I was mm -hmm. programming, I was doing all the, like for the one we did ourselves, I was like programming lights and designing LEDs for like a month to like get <laughs> half an hour worth of like live music out of. And it's like, so right, right. like it is just like so much more effort than you know just rocking up to a venue bringing a sound guy and a lighting guy and then just putting on a show type thing yep. so like you know yep. unfortunately we've only ever really got to do two but you know yeah hopefully cool. we won't have to worry about it hopefully there'll be shows soon enough again that we're <laughs> yeah kind of so so let's talk about um your song so you released this new song death wish um with hopeless records uh and well, it's a collaboration with with Nothing Nowhere. It does a feature yeah. on it. Um, really cool, great song, uh, and and much. It had like more modern production than I had ever heard from you guys and from any of your previous recordings. Um, you know, your last your last full length record, um, Pink Elephant. Uh, that that had your kind of traditional uh sound that was that was your bread and butter sound and this one we got like we got trap hats happening we got all this extra pr production so tell me about the process of creating this song and is this the new sound moving forward um well like short answer kind of like yes we've always okay. been like kind of experimenting like we've always liked kind of incorporating like uh kind of you know elements of kind of like other like you know hip hop and that and like kind of the whole kind of soundcloud soundcloud mm -hmm. like emo trap thing that's going on cuz mm -hmm. like the the big thing that we've kind of and like there are elements of of that on pink elephant i think they're just a lot more toned down than what they were like kind of you know we had our first album kind of skinny dipping that was just all just straight pop punk there was nothing yep. more to it other than just you know you know, power chords and octave riffs and big crash cymbals <laughs> and that. And it's like, that's all it was. Right. So, and then, but then Pink Elephant, we started to like introduce like a bit more of those kind of like, all right, well, you know, the, the big thing is where you look where like a lot of the alternative music scene is now and like what a lot of young people are listening to, like I said, on like TikTok and all that. It's like mm -hmm. alternative music really isn't like kind of, you know, the, like I said, like pop punk anymore. It's this kind of emo SoundCloud trap thing. So we were like, well, if this is where like alternative music is right now, why we can bring that into what we do. And that was yeah. kind of like, I think we're just, that's just what we're going to try and lean kind of heavily into now is just kind mm. of, you know, when you look at like what nothing nowhere does or like, you know, mm -hmm. ghost main or kind of like, you know, like all these kind of like, uh, like Sullivan King and all that, like all these mm -hmm. like big kind of like sound, like it had went the opposite direction for so long where all these like hip hop dudes were taking elements from like emo and alternative music that we kind of wanted to turn that around and be like, okay, we want to be an emo kind of pop punk alternative band that takes elements from like all this hip hop music. And that was kind of the thought process behind bringing in like nothing nowhere. Who's like kind of like a rapper and that and kind of <laughs> hopefully that's, that's yeah. yeah, like what we're going to lean into more musically kind of going forward. Uh, like not to give away too much yeah. about like... No, that's so cool. But but, but you like... bring up a really interesting point. That's so cool. You're, you're right. Like, you know, hip hop and pop traditionally use samples from more organic sounding bands, whether they're pop punk bands, whether they're it's, it's you know, 
funk bands from the 70s, yeah, yeah. whether it's a, a Dido song from the late 90s or whatever, you know, it's they've all traditionally hip hop. It, they've all been the samples now. And it's kind of you you flip it around as it's like, OK, your core of what you're doing is the pop punk thing. But you're bringing not not quite samples, but but still incorporating those elements. So you have that tinge of that sound. That's really cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I mean, I and it's it, it is the way kind of just like a lot of the modern alternative music's going, and like kind of mm-hmm. not that we're like trend chasing or anything. Like, I've, I wouldn't want to describe it as that, but like yeah. just kind of that. You know, you want to keep your finger on the pulse of what is you know what people are actually listening to. Like, mm. you know, like I love kind of a lot of that classic pop punk stuff as much as like the next person. You know, mm-hmm. like a lot of that Blink and like Newfound Glory and all that, but you can't keep making the same records for 20 years. At some mm-hmm. point you've kind of got to try and evolve the sound into like what kind of comes next. And like I said, I think what is like the next big frontier of alternative music is that kind of like emo trap thing. And it was like, mm-hmm. you know, even last year on like, uh, we have this, like our biggest like alternative radio station in Australia is triple J and they have a thing where they get on kind of people to do covers like, um, uh, like it's a, it's a program called Live Like a Version where you get like live on radio, you just do a cover of a song. And like huge artists have done it, like Billie Eilish has done it, Childish Gambino's done it. And so like last year we got a chance to do it. And we're like, okay, well, you know, like unfortunately Juice World had just passed, but that, you know, that song Righteous that he did, like one of like kind of arguably one of the best emo songs of like the last 10 years. And it was like mm-hmm. from a hip hop dude. And it was like, mm-hmm. well, you know, we're an emo band. He's released one of like what I think is probably one of the best emo songs of like the past 10 years. Let's do mm-hmm. a cover of this. And like kind of mm-hmm. hopefully it came, like I hope people think it came out well. I think it yeah. came out well. But <laughs> Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, no, that's great. That's great. Um, so I, I'm, I mean, man, 200 shows a year uh, to to now where where it's uh, you're you've kind of been stuck back at home um, and and no real plans uh, moving forward. Uh, has this last year forced you to reevaluate what your definition of success means, or what do you define as success? It. It's super hard because, like, without, like I was kind of mentioning earlier, without that kind of like, um, like the live music aspect and going out and playing those shows, it's just kind of, it's so abstract and so hard to kind of see like the hard, you know, all the hard work you've been putting into for this career for like the past almost 10 years now, like we've been playing as a band, all that hard work without being able to see the fans and see those shows. It's kind of like all you kind of get is a Spotify number. It's so like abstract to kind of really take any personal joy or personal fulfillment to be like, yay, mm-hmm, the number mm-hmm. went up, I guess. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, it, right. so, like it, so you kind of, there, there is a sense of kind of like a little bit of kind of defeat in that and that kind of, mm-hmm. it is kind of a little bit defeating kind of, I mean, this whole COVID thing has been super defeating and kind of like you don't, get the fulfillment from it that we, you know, once did kind of being able to get like the shows and that, like all we get now is number goes up type Mm -hmm. thing. But have you been able to play any of the songs from pink elephant live? 
We've played one show. We've <laughs> literally done, like I said, one sit down show. The, the oh. most depressing thing was it like we had this whole like plan for like a kind of um, like a like a stage set up. I built a bunch of like DMX lights in the shapes of elephant heads. And <laughs> by the t- by the time we get to tour, we're not even going to be on that album cycle anymore. So you're right, you're right. Completely pointless. Like that, I built all this stuff. Uh, so so you of- are shifting. You're you're not going to pretend like this last year didn't happen and just pick up from. Hey, we just released a new album, Pink Elephant. You're actually moving forward. You're like, no, yeah, now we're yeah. Okay. It's, it's it would be kind of I feel like a bit just counterproductive. Like mm. I mean, hope I mean by the time like we like I said we've got this odds tour coming up in australia so you know we'll mm-hmm. still get to like kind of do pink elephant and all that then sure. kind of, but like by the time we're properly touring we're pretty much going to be on the next cycle to be honest so yeah. like yeah and there's no point in kind of like you know as much as i say kind of like you know you it's hard to see the growth in that there has been growth like even if we can't see it in terms of like the fan interaction and the, and the crowds and shows and stuff it's still been happening so like yes. to pretend like it hasn't been happening and like kind of you know, just go back to like where we were, like when we released Pink Elephant is kind mm-hmm. of, you know, I feel like would just be a bit counterproductive and a bit kind of redundant at that point. So, you know, sure. unfortunately it would have been nice to kind of get to do the tour and get to do the whole branding and my, my lights, my lights that I yeah, built, that I hand soldered. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> Don't get to use them, but like it would have been nice, but unfortunately yeah. it didn't pan out that way and we kind of, soldier forward regardless i guess sure yep 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 no totally well david this has been uh, a lot of fun and I, I have one final question that i ask everyone who comes on the show uh what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business i that's i because you kind of like not to peek behind the curtain too much you kind of you did send through that you were going to ask that that question in the email and i've kind of been thinking about it and i still just straight up just don't have an answer for it because like mm. Sometimes, like you, what you feel to be success can like is just like so fleeting and arbitrary and stuff. And you know, like when I talk to you know, especially when you're in this kind of like music ecosphere and that, when I talk to like you know my parents or family or people who just don't know anything about music, it's kind of like you get this sense sometimes that you feel like, oh, if they if I'm not on the TV or I'm, they're not hearing me on mainstream radio and stuff that I haven't made it, that I'm a kind of failure as a musician, you know, that where, where it's like, that's just absolutely not true, but it can kind of like really feel like that sometimes that just, you mm-hmm. know, these people that like, you know, all they know of bands is like Metallica and these huge stadium bands and they don't know <laughs> right, anyone right. else. It's like, they're like they kind of have this opinion to be like, oh well, I haven't heard of you, so that you know, there's no difference between us and like some pub co- like like cover band that plays to like five people because they right. haven't heard heard of right. either of you's type things. But um, you know, like I said, I try. Like, there's so many different ways you can measure kind of success. Like I was saying earlier, and it's like rather you can't just say Spotify numbers or you can't just say crowd sides or anything. And it's like I. I think it's just being able to do what you love, which like unfortunately has been taken away from us a bit with kind of the whole COVID thing. But, you know, I'm still not going to stop doing music just because like I can't like, you know, things have changed. We're all just going to adapt and just kind of, you know, do the best we can do. David Potter, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, man.
episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. Uh-huh. 